Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports as always with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, man. I am back from La La Land, flew across the country on Friday, and I am happy to be back in my office recording this one because hotel Wi Fi not the best way to upload a podcast let's just say that yeah yeah for sure uh glad you had uh, some safe travels uh, i do apologize uh people listening right now that hear me uh with my barry white voice going on i'm nursing a little bit of a cold but uh, we will certainly get get through it and you know maybe you like the extra bass boost <laughs> um but we are uh in the middle of february you know valentine's day is just a day away as we record this episode um it, it's pretty cold you know a lot of, of snow coming down but there is a glimmer of hope uh out in arizona and down in florida pitchers and catchers are reporting in the mlb the cleveland indians pitchers and catchers reported on the 12th over the weekend uh baseball is, is just around the corner it's pretty crazy uh you know, that's what happens when, when your team goes all the way to, into Game 7 of the World Series. It shortens that offseason and makes the wait just a little bit shorter. Uh, Indians baseball is right around the corner. So we are going to do a little bit of a preview of what we're looking for here in spring training. Um, so, Chris, let's just dive right into it. Um, what are some key storylines as, as the Indians uh, set up camp uh, in, for spring training? Yeah, I think there's a key storyline regarding the Indians' rotation. Now, I think the front end of the rotation is very solid. Obviously, you know, guys like Corey Kluber, Danny Salazar, uh, Josh Tomlin, and Carlos Carrasco, they're pretty much entrenched. But I think a lot of people are going to look at Trevor Bauer and wonder if he's going to hold on to that fifth spot. You know, the fifth spot in the Indians' rotation has kind of been a curse. The guy who's gone into the year with it uh last couple years tj house cody anderson uh usually loses it by mid-may so the 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 track record for this five spot is not very well and i think that as of right now while trevor bauer may have a higher ceiling than josh tomlin there's no doubt that he is fifth in this lineup and whether or not guys like mike clevenger ryan merritt and some of the other talented prospects, or even the aforementioned Anderson and House, can step up and maybe uh, entrench themselves in that five spot. Um, also, I, even if neither of them knock Bauer from the five spot, uh, let's not be naive here. Last year, the Indians' rotation was banged up all year long. It wasn't just in September. I mean, Carrasco and Salazar missed time earlier in the year. You know, the, the rotation is going to have to go f- seven or eight deep, probably. I, I'm willing to bet that multiple guys beyond the original starting five are going to have to step up at some point like they did last year. Um, and so it will be interesting to see wh- what happens sort of with Trevor Bauer here because, uh, you know, he's kind of been a, a very perplexing figure ever since he came to Cleveland you know the talent is there but but for whatever reason it just doesn't all click consistently enough and so last year when he came out of the bullpen he was very effective especially in that Toronto epic 19 inning game you know he was a good guy out of bullpen in long relief Um, I, I know that that's probably not what they had in mind when they traded for him but but it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Trevor Bauer. So that's certainly a, a spring training battle that I, I'm going to have my eye on. Yeah, I think Trevor Bauer is a key. Um, that, that's a really good point. Uh, I don't think that – I think if Josh Tomlin comes in and, and does what we expect him to do, he'll certainly be a, a lock for that rotation. Um, but at age 32, uh, coming off a season high in innings pitched, even though it's 174 innings pitched, it's still um, his uh, career – high in terms of innings pitched um and just the inconsistency of josh tomlin's health i think he also is a question mark you have a a huge pool of starting pitchers for that fourth and fifth spot uh, in the rotation you have certainly have a guy with that oozes talent and trevor bauer that you you want to be in, in the rotation because he is so dang talented but he's also just so 
frustrating and confounding at times. I mean, it's not just the, the mechanics and, and there, there's also a, a mental side with, with Trevor Bauer. I mean, uh, and a reliability side that, that you have to question with him. So what are you going to get out of him day in and day out? Is he going to flip a switch and, you know, mature a little bit and, and grow up and, and develop? Um, certainly you want it to happen now. That'll definitely be a key storyline to keep an eye on. And then Josh Tomlin, can he just be that model of consistency that, that he was last year that, uh, the Indians surprisingly, you know, starting pitching, uh, still is, uh, on this team is, is their strength. I mean, they have three bona fide aces and Trevor Bauer can certainly throw like a number one if he has his a game, uh, you didn't expect that they would have to rely on Josh Tomlin so much last year, but he certainly was the unheralded MVP uh, of of the Indians. I mean, he he was consistent uh, basically from start to finish. He, he did have a little bit of a, a dry spell in the middle, but, I mean, without him, they wouldn't have made the playoff push. Uh, without him in the beginning, they wouldn't have been able to absorb some of those uh, early nagging injuries and Trevor Bowers' inconsistencies. So, yeah, I, I definitely think the back end of the rotation – uh, some some really big question marks. Uh, it's not an uncommon problem. I mean, the, the fifth man in a starting rotation. Uh, I I I would be surprised to see a, a list of, of how many teams finish the season with the same number five guy that they started with, just because of, of the grind of the season. Um, so it's not a a bad problem to have, and the Indians certainly have a wealth of arms that have proven themselves here and there to to certainly be worthy of a starting rotation spot. Uh, none of them, though, and and I will say that Josh Tomlin and Trevor Bauer, included in this list, have proven that they are there to stay so far. So maybe those guys can finally put it all together and, and give us the best rotation we possibly have. But the Indians certainly have options. Yeah, I mean, you, you go back a couple years ago, TJ House looked like he was going to be a strong left-handed arm for the Indians, and then he fell apart Uh in, in, when when he got the job and that allowed Cody Anderson's opportunity and he looked like he was going to be the strong back end of that bullpen guy and then last year he fell apart and, and that kind of gave way for Mike Clevenger to get some big league experience he pitched a lot in long relief last year and then Ryan Merritt another lefty steps up in a huge game in the ALCS and just that, that was one of the most unbelievable moments of the playoffs to rely on Ryan Merritt to to get them through to the World Series, that that was just a fantastic uh, moment. But but they're they're right there. There's four names that aren't even in this rotation who have shown that they could be in a big league rotation and probably would be in this rotation if the Indians didn't have those three aces at the top. So you know Bauer and Tomlin certainly very strong guys, but but this rotation goes nine deep. And when you can say that about a rotation when you can absorb an injury or two and still have a strong rotation, I think that that's something very special. And I, I think that when you when you trickle it all the way down, I, I think this could be the deepest rotation in the majors. It might not be the best because at the end of the day, you're still going to be measured by the five guys who are actually pitching. And obviously, some of these guys aren't going to step up this year. They might need a little more time to develop, which is okay. But the fact of the matter is, uh, when you've got as long as Kluber, Carrasco, and Salazar, if two out of those three can stay strong and healthy, ideally all three, uh, this rotation is going to be fine. It's just a matter of of where's the icing on the cake going to come from? Will another guy step up and, and and really vault it to the next level? And and honestly, Bob, last year that guy was Josh Tomlin, as you said. Tomlin was fantastic. We got more out of him than I think anyone ever thought we would. Uh, he he started strong, had a little bit of a blip there, but when all the injuries hit and, and the Indians needed him in the playoffs, boy, did he step up. I mean, the, the only real downside was it kind of, for everyone in the rotation, uh, Bauer and Kluber included, it just kind of ran out of gas in those last three games, but, but Tomlin certainly was fantastic. Yeah, well, Bauer didn't run out of gas, he ran out of a pinky finger. But <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that certainly didn't help at all. Yeah, for sure. I I think another key, obviously, is Michael Brantley's health in spring training. Um, you know, the expectation isn't that he will be ready uh, for for opening day, but they uh, have a tentative timeline for him to be ready late April, early May, and I think that is largely dependent on a strong, healthy spring training. Um, if Michael Brantley is healthy and if he can rehab back into 
you know, mostly the player that he was just a few years ago, uh, that'll be a, a massive boon to this Indians lineup that played essentially the entire 2016 uh, season without him. Uh, combined that uh, basically addition uh, with the addition of Edwin Encarnacion and, and this Indians lineup uh, certainly has some 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 pop and some some intrigue one through nine. Uh, but Michael Brantley's health and, and having a, a strong, healthy spring training is the first step to that, and I, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge key and a great point, Bob. And Bob, if I Bob, when was the last time we weren't sort of groaning over the Indians not having an offense heading into the year? I mean, when was the last time we actually felt confident that this offense was going to do something special? I mean, if I had told you last year without Michael Brantley, they would have finished second in the league in runs scored, the second highest scoring offense in the American League. I mean, you and everyone else in Cleveland would have laughed me out of the room. I probably would have laughed at myself. I mean, there were so many question marks going into last year. And now this year, I mean, everything went right for them. You know, you had Jose Ramirez step up. You had Tyler Naquin step up. You had a lot of young guys get some really good experience. And then... Instead of just saying, okay, we're good, they go out and add Edwin Encarnacion, which was an upgrade from a Mike Napoli who was fantastic last year up until the playoffs. Uh, Santana finally kind of had that breakout season we'd been waiting for. Uh, Kipnis was strong. Lindor took another big step forward. Uh, Bob, there is a ton to like about this offense, but you're absolutely right. If Michael Brantley can come back healthy, uh, it's just going to be that much better. And they don't need to rush him back. Please don't rush him back. They, they, he can hold out till June for all I care as long as he comes back 100% and, and, and doesn't suffer another setback like he did kind of last year when they maybe brought him back a little too soon. Um, the, a healthy Michael Brantley, I mean, Bob, that, that the offense is just terrifying if he's 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the kind of supplementing that key is what, happened in 2016 is that Jose Ramirez out of nowhere became uh, one of the most reliable hitters in the lineup. Uh, Tyler Naquin uh, became a rookie of the year candidate and Lonnie Chisinau had probably the most consistent uh, solid year of his career. Those three guys supplementing, you know, mitigating the loss of Michael Brantley. And then you throw in, you know, Rajay Davis, Abraham Amante and Brandon Guy are kind of platooning uh, that replacement. But it was those three starters, I think, that uh, really made you not notice that Michael Brantley wasn't in that lineup. Uh, can those three guys repeat? Can can they grow? You know, Tyler Naquin, we're expecting more in, in a sophomore season. Jose Ramirez, uh, we're expecting a, a lot out of him. And, and, you know, those expectations weren't there last year. Uh, if they do hold and they are able to uh, meet the same stats that they put up last year, I think the Indians will be in a fine place. Um, but again, you know, reinforcements are there. Michael Brantley potentially is coming back, like we said, and we got some young guns coming up uh, in the pipeline, particularly in the outfield. I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts on Bradley Zimmer making this roster? Well, well, first off, I mean, you know, Bradley Zimmer is really not the only one. They got Greg Allen down there. They also got Yandy Diaz down there, who certainly have pitched well enough, played, excuse me, played well enough in the minors to possibly earn a spot in a sort of stopgap situation uh that's what the Indians thought Naquin was going to be I I don't think they wanted to bring him up to start the year uh but they had no choice with Almonte's suspension I mean their starting outfield was injured to start the year or suspended to start the year they had no choice um not as quite a dire need because they have the Chisenhall Geyer platoon. Uh, they still have Naquin. You know, they've got guys who can fill these roles. Almonte will be back, no suspension hanging over him. Uh, so they don't necessarily need something, but but it would be great if Bradley Zimmer could make the opening day roster and uh, fill in for Michael Brantley until he comes back healthy because he is one of their, if not their, their top prospect down there. And I think the fans certainly would like to see if, if he can cut it and, and sort of be the Tyler Naquin of 2017. And how, how exciting would that be, Bob, if you go another year in a row yeah, out on the heels of Lindor and Naquin popping and then Jose Ramirez adjusting and, and coming back to have yet another young guy come up and add depth to this offense. So, so I certainly hope that Bradley Zimmer uh, can, can make an impact in spring training and, and, and trying to force the Indians' hand and, and get 
make them give him a chance come opening day. Yeah, very true, though. Um, If Bradley Zimmer is in rookie of the year consideration, that means one of our ideal starting outfielders is struggling. Uh, I would be okay if Bradley Zimmer overtook Lonnie Chisholm. Don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, I, I, I want those... I want Brantley and Aquin and Chisholm Hall to certainly succeed and, and Zimmer to be a boon, but I get what you're saying. I, I, that would be awesome. You know, the, the Indians went uh, almost a decade without having a legitimate first round rookie, you know, do anything. And now they've had two in a row and potentially they could have another talented guy coming up. And, and they also have some, some other intriguing prospects that I would like to keep an eye on this spring training. Uh, like the catcher, Francisco Meja, uh, the pitcher, Brad, Bradley Aiken, um, intriguing prospects for sure. Uh, always fun to keep an eye on them in spring training. Um, any other position battles that, that you're keeping an eye on? I mean, the only other thing really is the, the sort of last spot or two in the bullpen. Uh, is this the year Kyle Crockett, a lefty, kind of sticks for longer than just sort of an up and down and they traded they they got Holby Miller Milner excuse me in the rule five draft another lefty who might be able to add depth to that bullpen uh we talked about this earlier Bob uh Andrew Miller I, I think having him as your only lefty in the rotation or the pen is a disservice I think you need to take some relief off him and get another lefty who can match up against some of these guys when you want to play matchups early in the game. If Miller's the only guy who can do that, uh, it puts too much pressure on him. And so I I do think between Milner and Crockett, one of these two uh, really needs to step up and and sort of be that second lefty out of the bullpen and just be more consistent. If both of them stick, that's even better because then you have a nice sort of 50-50 split between righties and lefties in the pen. And we all know how Terry Francona loves to use the bullpen yeah I, I think that was in my wish list or new year's resolution for the indians is get a, another left-handed bullpen option uh in there so that you can really utilize andrew miller in the way you want to and, and capitalize on his uh superstar ability so uh, i i agree with you that that is certainly a key uh battle to to look forward to and to keep an eye on it and you know pull for one of those guys to come out on top and and and, and stick and not only stick but be a, a contributing active part uh in the bullpen um some guys though will be missing some time in spring training uh world baseball classic rosters are being announced uh, the tribe are sending 11 uh players uh to various countries uh four notable players though uh just from from the big league roster of last year andrew miller francisco lindor carlos santana and roberto perez uh, we'll certainly talk about the world baseball classic a little bit further in march but i mean it, it, it's a good sign chris that uh indians talent is being picked for, for for this competition i'd say oh i think it's a great sign because it shows that you have some depth to your organization um now truth be told there are some countries out there who uh kind of fill out rosters but uh, the fact of the matter is to send 11 guys to this thing, uh, it, it's pretty special. It's it's a sign that the Indians are a team that, that has a lot of talent and a lot of top-shelf talent. Uh, I mean, you, know, you know, Bob, when you get to the World Series and you return what you do and add to it, uh, the expectations are going to be through the roof. And, and we've talked about the Indians a lot. And, and I think the key to this year isn't going to be the talent. I think the talent's there, the managing's there. I think it's going to be... Last year, nobody expected anything out of this team. This year, how can this? How does this team deal with sky-high expectations? Uh, I, I think that that is a different animal to attack. I'm confident in Terry Francona, but but it's certainly. I mean, you see it all the time. Uh, a lot of teams maybe, uh, you know, the the, the pressure or for lack of a better word, is a little bit too much. So I, I think that's really my biggest worry, that and just too many injuries. For sure. I mean, it's a long season. Uh, this Indians team is poised uh, and seems to be oozing talent and has higher expectations than, than I've had for an Indians team in a, in a very long time. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. I think if anything uh, showed us from last year, the resiliency, all the injuries, uh you know, fighting through everything that happened to them to still get to the World Series, I think it proves that there's a lot of metal and that they are really able to tune out a, a lot of the happenings uh, uh, outside of their organization. I think that starts with Terry Francona mostly. So I do have a lot of faith in them. Obviously, you can't 
account for injuries or plan for them, but uh, the Indians do have some depth, and, and that also is a surprising. They can absorb some things. So I, I am uh, pretty confident and, and really excited uh, about this Indians team for sure. Um, before we wrap up this spring training preview, we do have to uh, take a little bit of a detour to the MLB's most scientific man himself, uh, Trevor Bauer, <laughs> going on a tweet storm. Uh, I would call it a tweet storm. I don't know if you would call it a tweet storm, but uh, 135 tweets in just a few hours responding to various people. Uh, Trevor Bauer voicing his political concerns. I mean, not to get too much into it on what exactly he was saying, but Chris, I mean, Trevor Bauer has been a, a really interesting character since he's come to Cleveland. What are you making of, of this uh, show on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, first off, it, it just reinforces the sort of uh, dangers of Twitter. Uh, you know, you got to be careful, um, especially when you're in the spotlight like Trevor Bauer. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think he was wrong to post his initial tweet. I mean, you had the freedom of expression. If that's how you truly feel about something, certainly put yourself out there. Um, you got to know that, that when you do that on Twitter, and I'm sure he does, uh, that you're going to hear about it. Um, but at the same, I, I have no problem in essence with him believing a certain thing. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, you know, for me, sports and politics, what my athletes believe politically, um, I don't care about their personal lives per se, as long as they're not breaking any laws or, you know, anything like that. So I can separate this sort of politics with my favorite athletes and Trevor Bauer being on the Cleveland Indians. I mean, I like all the players on the Cleveland Indians. So the fact of the matter is I don't particularly have a problem with his initial tweet. I think that when you start, you know, going after people for coming after you, uh, then you kind of got to watch that, man, because, you know, everyone's looking at him. And I just think that at the end of the day, uh, it was probably ill-advised for him to get into it with that many people. Um, but, but ultimately, uh, it's not going to affect the way I, I cheer for the Cleveland Indians. Um, because at the end of the day, I, I just feel like people are entitled to their beliefs. And that's, that's the way I view it. Yeah, I, I'm not making too much of it myself. Um, I mean, my biggest takeaway is that Trevor Bauer is a moron. Because <laughs> I and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that uh, people that have share the same opinions as Trevor Bauer are morons, except for the fact that, um, well, the, the scientific tweet tweet really made me laugh. And then the one where uh, he implies that he denies climate change, uh, that's that's where I'd kind of draw the draw the line because that is scientific fact. Um, but anyway, I mean, uh, back to Trevor Bauer. I mean, this isn't the first time he's done stupid things. I mean, again. Let's go back to the ALCS where the team desperately needed him to be healthy and fit and 100% ready to go. And he nearly cuts his whole pinky finger off and then considers cauterizing it with a soldering iron. I mean, this is not the smartest man in the world. And I'm not trying to be mean, but clearly like he's not he's not the brightest. And uh it is it is a little bit frustrating to see that he would go on a Twitter rant and then directly respond to people, like you said, and, and say some pretty nasty things and, and open himself up uh, to just be torn apart on the internet. The internet is a vicious place. Um, it is a little disappointing that he is on a team that I like, uh, but um, you know, Trevor Bauer is not a man of influence in the sports world or in the world of celebrity. I don't think anybody. Uh, saw what he wrote and he influenced anybody's mind to think a different way. So I'm not really caring about it too much, but um, my main takeaway again is that Trevor Bauer, uh, I would prefer that he just doesn't really voice his opinion because it's a, it's a very uh, strange, odd opinion most of the time. Yeah. Again, that's a good point you made, Bob, um, on the heels of what happened in the playoffs uh, when your rotation is down and, and, you know, just just putting himself in that unfortunate situation, uh, and then he goes off uh, on a on a Twitter rant, getting into it with a bunch of different fans. I, I, the problem I have is is the the constant replies to all the fans. I, I just don't think you should be calling out people like that. Just let them be. I mean, I know they're poking the bear. I mean, it, it doesn't excuse people for for being haters, but at the end of the day, the spotlight's on Trevor Bauer. Um, you can put out the initial tweet. You can voice your opinion however you want. 
Uh, but but I think that when you start getting into those sort of Twitter wars, uh, that that's probably not something that I would advise. I think it's just best to to let some things go and just you know focus on something else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully Terry will have a talking with him. <laughs> I see him as a voice of reason. But um, yeah, definitely we'll keep posted on the happenings in spring training. Uh, Indians will get more and more active, and, and before we know it opening day will, will be upon us and warmth and sunlight and no snow will will be just around the corner or you know for you guys living in cleveland it'll come in may <laughs> uh, but moving on to uh the cleveland cavaliers uh fantastic game against the washington wizards uh chris this uh game uh was ha- it started uh right when we we finished recording uh last week's episode i did happen to just turn it on as i was cooking and eating dinner by myself um and i screamed really loudly when lebron missed the layup and then i screamed even louder when he made that three-point shot to force it into overtime uh what a fantastic game um they did drop the 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 following uh game over the weekend uh against the thunder um but I mean, that overtime game against the Wizards, probably the most enjoyable basketball game I've watched uh, other than that that Christmas Day matchup. Did you have a chance to see it? I actually turned it on with three seconds left just in time to see Kevin Love's phenomenal pass to set up that phenomenal shot. So what gets lost in that shot was that nearly full court pass was unbelievable to set LeBron up. Uh, but on yeah. top of that, from what I hear, it was a phenomenal game. I, I, I did not watch the four quarters leading up. I lost last. I, I saw LeBron shot and I saw overtime and that was about it. I thought it was done for when LeBron fouled out, but then Kyrie took over. Um, and my friend uh, down in Washington, D.C. Uh, texted me after the game. He said that was the game of the year and his team just lost. So uh, when you've got Wizards fans who just kind of lost in kind of a heartbreaking fashion saying that that was the game of the year, I think that, that you that it was a pretty special NBA game even though I didn't have the chance to see most of it Um, but that shot was unbelievable the pass was unbelievable and then in overtime Kyrie was unbelievable again it just shows you that the this core is so good and it just annoys me every time these stupid should they break up the big three to get superstar x or y or z rumors come up no, they shouldn't. Keep them together. Uh, everything, I think, is going to be okay. Yeah, and, and that game, I mean, Kevin Love had a fantastic game uh, even before that pass happened. Um, and, you know, that game coming kind of at the, at the climax of the Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony rumors, I thought that was an awesome response from them. Uh, Kevin Love's passing, his, his long court passing, is, is a talent in the NBA that I don't think is entirely necessarily uh necessary or uh game impactful except for that one situation i i mean i don't think that his fantastic long court passing ability that you know people sometimes rave about and talk about has really won or altered the course of a game except for this one time which when it was fantastic and totally i don't think uh i think a very small list of people would have been able to make that kind of entry pass and have that uh kind of delivery and vision uh kevin love being one of them and and so it worked out uh he does help in transition though it might not be a full court pass but but he can get a rebound and get that ball out real quickly um so so while i agree generally speaking that kind of a pass doesn't work but but i do think that that his overall passing ability is just it's for the guy as a power forward can just do so much and and I'm, i'm not trying to you know disagree with you here or anything i understand what you're saying but but the point is i'm just sick and tired of people lobbying to trade him because he's so good he's just so good yeah yeah definitely i mean it's hard to be underrated but i do think kevin love is underrated at this point do you think kevin love just stops listening to all this now i mean there's no way this guy takes any of these rumors seriously at this point yeah, he has to. I think, you know, we, we talked about this. We've talked about it a lot, obviously. I mean, being Cleveland fans, doing this podcast for over two years now. Um, but when, when the Kevin Love rumors of him leaving were the highest, I just really think I don't hear Kevin Love talk a whole lot. I, I just think that people don't uh, – nobody has really a ear to what Kevin Love is thinking or, 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 or wants to do. And so they just make stuff up. And, and he doesn't really care is what it seems. And – I mean, it hasn't really 
affected his play too much. Clearly, there was some weight and pressure and stress here and there, but you know, over a three year, two and a half year body of work, I, I think Kevin Love has, has answered admirably and fantastically to, to fit into that number three role and and and, and reject all, all the rumors and and, and pressure and, and respond the way he has. And the funniest part was on the day before that NBA Finals in 2015, somebody asked him, are you coming back to Cleveland? And he said, yes, sir. And still the rumors were flying. Right. You had it straight from the horse's mouth. He's coming back. But it was still, oh, no, 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 he's going to L.A. or Portland or whatever. Day one of free agency, agrees to a five-year deal. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, man, you guys look really foolish. And and we're talk- we are we all know who we're talking about when we said you guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a, the, the rumor mill people out there drive everyone up the wall. Yeah, uh, particularly I, I think the NBA trade rumor mill is insane. Um, and, and it's just full of ridiculous rumors and most of it is just hot air and, and smoke that sometimes they're, they're, they're dead on and, and are right. But most of the time, if it's a rumor, there, there's no, uh, substance to it. I, it's just, it's just smoke. But if you had a Chris Anderson trade rumor, you were on the money. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it, how that hot stove was. I mean, this was definitely a move that, uh, we all expected Chris Anderson just moved, uh, to the Charlotte Hornets, the Cleveland Cavaliers sending him and some cash uh, to the Charlotte Hornets for a top 55 protected second round 2017 pick, uh, essentially for nothing. They from just Charlotte. Up the roster spot. <laughs> yeah. I protected big from Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, the protections are, are certainly ridiculous. I mean, this is uh, not a surprise at all. Uh, a move that we thought w- w- would definitely happen before the trade deadline, essentially freeing up a Another roster spot, uh, their vacant spot, has been filled by Derek Williams, uh, signed to a 10-day deal. Chris, what, what are your makings of, of either of those moves? Well, well, first off, Derek Williams, I remember back in uh, 2011, or excuse me, 2010, uh, no, 11, excuse me, sorry, getting my years mixed up there, when there was a legit debate between him and Kyrie for number one overall, and yeah. uh, he he had a phenomenal career at at Arizona and uh why not take a chance on this guy I mean he's not going to be expected to do a lot he had talent um certainly take a chance on this guy especially just a 10-day contract if he doesn't work out now you have two open roster spots to maybe sweep up and clean up some of the scraps that might get bought out after the trade deadline um so yeah certainly I I have no problem with that signing at all uh, and, and the Chris Anderson deal, I mean, everyone everyone knew the Cavs were trying to free up more roster spots to add depth, uh, to add what Chris Anderson was. Maybe Derek Williams can be what Chris Anderson was, that emergency big off the bench. Uh, but I still can't get over that top 55 protected pick. Now, now I kind of hope that Charlotte gets that seven seed and then tears <laughs> off to the Eastern Conference Finals. But, but even if they do, actually, no, 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 that's the NFL that does it by playoffs. The NBA doesn't do it by playoffs. It's it's by record. So they would have to finish with one of the five best records in the league. Don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no. Uh, essentially, they traded him for nothing. I, I like the move. I mean, Derek Williams at 6'8", he, he's a combo forward, so can play small forward and power forward. Not exactly the 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 birdman replacement per se I, I would say that they could still go big or seek a point guard to, to fill that final vacant spot but it, it's more talent and more playmaking uh, on the wings uh, for the Cavs uh, he had a really nice game uh, I think being added to the team in less than 24 hours he responded with 12 points in his first game uh, LeBron certainly endorsed him to, to uh, stay longer than that 10-day contract will allow so I uh, will definitely have to see uh, how that plays out, but I like it. I mean, what what can you lose? This is a guy that was once thought, like you said, to be better than Kyrie Irving coming out of college. So um, I, I like the move for sure. We are approaching the NBA All-Star game. The Cavs are sending three players, Kyrie, LeBron, Kevin Love. The first time the big three is going together to the All-Star game, uh, representing the Cleveland Cavaliers, though. Uh, Kevin Love is not going to play uh, on the 14th due to a left knee strain. Uh, his availability for the All-Star game is questionable, but they officially are sending three. 
Um, Chris, All Star Weekend. What, what are you happy that the big three are going? What What are you making of the weekend? What's What's What are you looking forward to? Happy that they're going, but at the end of the day, when your All Star game is like two hundred to one ninety five, it's really hard for me to get into this thing. You know, it's the All Star yeah. game has become more and more of just a stat stuffing show, which is fun. I'm not saying it's not fun, but but it's just hard for me to get get amped up for it when it's when it's it's really a ridiculous game. Um, fun for the fans. I, I might, you know, catch some of the highlights, but but I certainly won't make time to watch it. Um, I, I do think it's awesome that the big three uh, got their due finally and uh, are all going to at least be participating uh, whether or not they'll actually play. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm happy for them. Um, if I'm going to watch anything All-Star Weekend, it is the three-point shootout and the slam dunk contest. I, I love those events more so than, like you said, the uh, basically – playground game that is the all-star game itself uh absolutely no deep i think they played less defense in the the pro bowl in the nfl (laughs) in the nba (laughs) and that's saying something um it's always fun just to see the you know stars get together and all that but i i if i miss it i miss it i'm not uh all too invested in it um one final piece of cleveland news jr smith is returning to uh some workouts and practices uh Sources say that he's going to return on the front end of that timetable. So now they're thinking mid-March, maybe three weeks away, J.R. Smith comes back. Chris, this is a, a Cavs team that, um, despite all the, the roster upheaval just a few weeks ago, could be uh, at full strength and and ready to go uh, in, in just a few weeks. Uh, that has to be exciting news. Huge, huge news. Because, Bob, Bob, I think there's a legitimate argument that J.R. Smith is part of a big four. Uh, he is the the unheralded fourth guy in this lineup. He brings so much from a three-point shooting standpoint, but he is not just a three-point shooter. He can play defense on the other end, so when his shots aren't falling, he does actually bring something on both ends of the ball. Very good on the wing. Uh, I, I think Jer- – and, and he's not just a one-trick pony offensively. He actually can drive to the hoop. He's not just a spot-up shooter, even though that's what he does best. So very versatile player. Uh, Sorely missed by the Cavs, um, especially when they played the Warriors in that second game. Um, I, I think that if this guy can get on the court earlier, shake off that rust, it, it's just even better to, to find that rhythm going into the playoffs. So so this is this is huge news for the Cavs and, and certainly a uh, very positive development. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think it's going to uh, impact that, that first unit, but what makes it super intriguing is Amon Shumpert, Kyle Korver, Richard Jefferson, and Channing Frye now manning that second unit if they if they do bring in a competent point guard i mean that's five guys that that can all shoot the three um and and has some pretty talented uh playmaking and score scoring ability on the wing now um you know finally the Cavs could have a competent second unit which i think would be fantastic uh for their stretch run into the playoffs and, and definitely make them even more versatile some of the lineups they could roll out with uh, LeBron, Jr., and Kyle Korver all in the backcourt together. I mean, it, a, a lot of intriguing things could, could come out of this. Uh, Jr. Smith coming back, and it's fantastic that he's coming back uh, probably a, a couple weeks quicker than expected. And just think Kyrie at the point. Good luck guarding those three three-point shooters. Kyrie, Jr., Kyle Korver, yeah. LeBron at the four, going a little small. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it, not the best lineup even, defensively, but, but if they're all hitting their shots, uh, good luck keeping up with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, essentially at this point, Tristan Thompson is the only guy that doesn't have the green light to shoot the three. Uh, though Derek Williams is a, like a 200 three-point shooter as well, so he probably doesn't have a green light either. But Cavs are loaded in terms of three-point shooting. It, it, it's going to be scary when JR gets back. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's let's get moving. We have uh, definitely talked a, a lot about the Cavs, um, but we'll go to some college hoops real quick. Uh, the Big Ten, uh, the selection committee released its first top 16 seeds, uh, you know, kind of in, in lieu of what the college football playoff committee gives us an idea of what the bracket is going to look like come March Madness. No Big Ten teams included on that list, despite Wisconsin uh, slowly entering that top 10. And you even have Purdue uh, hovering around 16, but no Big Ten teams in, in that preliminary ranking. Chris, is that surprising to you? And what kind of message is that sending to the Big Ten? Well, it sends that the Big Ten's having a really down year this year, which is very accurate. You know, after having a bit of a renaissance for about seven years, uh, the last two have been less than desirable for the league, and this year is not very good. 
Um, I, I don't necessarily think they deserve no top four seeds because you can make the case for, as you said, Wisconsin or Purdue. But it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I don't think the Big Ten is that good, even though uh, Bracketology has them getting seven uh, teams overall in the bracket, none of them in the top 16, though. Uh, and one of them, Northwestern, who would end a drought. They've never been in the men's basketball tournament. I would like to see that happen because I think that's a pretty cool story. Um, and there's a Westlake kid playing for Northwestern. But the the fact of the matter is the Big Ten is just having a really down year in basketball. And uh, honestly, I don't even know if they deserve seven teams in the tournament. Yeah, um, I don't know the the depth of the Big, 12, Big Ten uh, that well to, to make a definitive statement about whether they deserve seven uh, seeds. But clearly the the uh, preliminary selection committee uh, has a strong opinion about uh, the lack of talent in the Big Ten right now, and I, I, I can't really argue with them. I mean, Wisconsin, yeah, uh, has, has slowly creeped up in, into that top ten, but for a while, uh, Big Ten was devoid of really anybody in those rankings, so it, it really is not surprising that um, you know the, the Big Ten got the cold shoulder in that first ranking. It doesn't help that Michigan State and Ohio State, two programs that help the Big Ten and Michigan uh, are, are all kind of having down years. Uh, same with Indiana. I mean, you could just go off the list. They're, they're all really having down years, but, but those are some big blue-blooded programs, and, and not one is really carrying the flag significantly. Um, so it's just it's just a down year. I, I think, I mean, the, the league's too good. It'll bounce back eventually, but um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, keeping it local, though, in Ohio, Akron and Xavier both doing really well. The Zips are 21-4. and four. Xavier is 18-7. and seven. That's good for third in the Big East. Chris, we liked Akron's title hopes. If they win that MAC title, obviously, we, we see that as the only way for them to get into the tournament. Uh, what about Xavier, though? Do you, do you see them getting an invite uh, just even if they don't win that tournament? I think Xavier will get in. I mean, yeah, they have seven losses, but but a lot of them, the very good teams, including Villanova most recently, uh, who's uh, a one seed right now. So they play in a very brutal league, very tough schedule. I think Xavier gets in. Zips at 21-4, and four, they're only slotted as a 14 seed by Joe Lenardi. Uh, the bracketology expert, which I think that's why the CFP, or excuse me, yeah, the, the selection committee started releasing these top 16 seeds is they're sick and tired of Joe Lenardi stealing their spotlight. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if a 21 and four Akron team's only a 14 seed, that that's saying right there, you got to win your conference tournament to get in because they are not in an at-large position. Yeah, certainly not. And we have discussed that a, a couple times on the podcast. Well, uh, Checking in with the Browns really quickly, not a whole lot of news coming uh, from Cleveland Browns, but potentially a future Cleveland Brown made some news in Miles Garrett posting a video uh, pleading his hometown favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys, to trade up from the 28th pick all the way to the number one pick uh, to select him instead of going to Cleveland. Um, Chris, it, it was a joke video. I didn't really take any offense or, or, or had any concern with it, but uh Miles Garrett got a huge negative reaction to, to posting that video. What, what are you taking from that? Anything? Well, anytime a player tries to dictate the terms of the draft, there's going to be backlash, uh, even if it was done in jest. Uh, certainly doesn't help. Um, again, I'm with you. The, the guy is going to play for whoever drafts him. There's too much money on the line not to. He's going to be locked up for four or five years on a rookie deal. He has really no choice if he wants to make those millions and millions of dollars in his free agent contract. Um, but here's the awkward thing. What if the Cowboys manage to trade up and get him without trading Tony Romo? And now you're on the team with the guy that you advocated them to trade for you? <laughs> Isn't that like really, really awkward? So I think, you know, why would you name Tony Romo? I, I think that that only kind of sets it up to be kind of an awkward situation if somehow Jerry can pull off the magic and do it without trading for Tony Romo. Or trading Tony Romo. Well, if the Cowboys are able to trade up to the number one overall pick, I would be uh, happy because that would mean that the Browns got like two full drafts for the next two years from the Cowboys. I mean, the the, the way to the cost to to make that leap to the number one spot. Um, and then to your point about Tony Romo, I think it's more likely that the Browns draft Miles Garrett number one and then sign a cut Tony Romo. <laughs> Uh, and now you got him on on the team playing with with the young rookie that begged 
uh, his his old team, his the team that he helped elevate uh, to trade away. So I, I don't I don't think any of that's gonna happen. I don't think Tony Romo is coming to Cleveland. Uh, I don't. The Cowboys are not gonna make a move for Miles Garrett at number one or in the top three. Um, Miles Garrett is gonna be relegated to his fate of Cleveland or San Francisco or Chicago. I don't think he's fallen anywhere further than that. But uh, just a silly video, um, kind of unnecessary, but. Uh, man, this NFL draft, this this day and age, they analyze everything, and uh, even the slightest chink in your armor could cost you a couple spots and ultimately cost you uh, a good chunk of money. So that will remain to be seen. I think Miles Gary is too talented for him to, to fall because of this silly video, but I mean, I, I've seen weirder things on NFL draft day. Because I agree with you, Bob. If, if the Cowboys draft number one overall this year, that means the Browns got the Cowboys pick this year probably Tony Romo, and probably at least one more first-rounder in subsequent years. I mean, they, they would have to have a gold mine of a package to move up 27 spots to draft what people are saying could be a transcendent player. There, there are a couple of big defensive guys at the top of the draft that could be transcendent players. So it's going to cost a pretty, pretty penny to move up there. And if the Cowboys want to do it, the Browns also have number 12 overall. I'd be happy with 12, 28, and a boatload of picks and Tony Romo for this guy I mean hey I think that would be a great haul for the Browns yeah I mean I think the Browns would command even more than uh what what you picked but uh, we're getting into a little bit of fantasy uh I, I don't think that that is very likely though um Jerry Jones has done some weird stuff in, in the past made some questionable decisions uh, I I don't I don't think that is very likely but um we'll certainly monitor if it becomes more than just a, a silly video made by a a 21-year-old uh, heading into the NFL draft. Um, but moving away from local Cleveland, Ohio news, uh, we'll, we'll go around the world of sports for a little bit. Uh, Fab Mello, former Syracuse center, former Celtics number one, or excuse me, Celtics first round draft pick center, uh, died at his home in Brazil over the weekend. Um, Fab Mello, a uh, little bit more famous for his suspensions in Syracuse than than his play, though he certainly was on some really good Syracuse teams and was very talented in college. But, I mean, I think he's age 27. Certainly sad to, to see uh, such a young player die. Yeah, Bob, I mean, w- this is like the third one of these obituaries we've done in the last couple months. Uh, uh, young guys, uh, international guys just passing away way too early. Um, very sad story. Uh, didn't didn't quite really make it in the NBA. Had a solid college career, but you're right that suspension uh, that ultimately uh, Syracuse ended up losing to Ohio State in the tournament that year, and uh, Fab Mello may have been able to make a difference. Uh, I believe that was a Jared Sullinger team, so certainly would have been a good matchup had he played. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a terrible story to see a kid you know die so young. Yeah, certainly. Um, well. Uh, Durant versus Westbrook. We we finally uh, got Kevin Durant's return back to Oklahoma City. Uh, not the most entertaining of games. The Warriors uh, pulled away pretty easily uh, by the end of that game. But we did get some Westbrook versus Durant moments. A, a couple uh, highlights of, of Westbrook clearly not happy with Durant. Um, did you have a chance to watch that game or, or make any takes from that? I did not. Uh, my, my take is simple. I mean, Golden State is just they're, they're finding their rhythm right now. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma City dearly misses Kevin Durant. I, I, I'm, I'm mad that Kevin Durant is on that team, to tell you the truth. I, I would rather him stay in Oklahoma City or go anywhere else just to make it a little more entertaining. Uh, you know, those Washington rumors when Durant may have gone to Washington, how, how much fun would that Cleveland-Washington rivalry be? We just saw an epic OT game. But with Durant on Washington, then it's an actual, hey, who could win the East um, out of those two teams? But... You know, I mean, it's it's a big story, just like when LeBron came back to Cleveland. But at the end of the day, it's still ultimately a regular season game, and uh, we'll see. Now, if these two somehow maneuver so they're the 1-8 or the 2-7, now, that could be fun. Uh, best of seven series between the two former teammates. But uh, right now, it's just, it didn't move the needle for me that much. Yeah, yeah, not all that entertaining. I think the most entertaining thing that came out of it is news that Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook ended up at the same restaurant that night, sitting and eating dinner only 15 feet apart from each other and not talking. (laughs) I mean, how awkward. And what are the chances that both of them went to the same restaurant in Oklahoma City? Uh, I would have paid a ton of money to go there and see that. (laughs) 
I don't know if I would have paid a ton of money, but uh, certainly certainly awkward. I mean, like I don't want to, you know, sort of hypothesize, but I certainly think that that the Durant Westbrook relationship was was a driving force for Kevin Durant leaving the city. Yeah, I I don't um, I I don't really have a, a big take on it or or want to dive into their relationship or their psyche because I really don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are fireworks when, when they were playing, they did not hold back and were very open about, um, you know, being aggressive towards each other. And, and Kevin Durant does not seem to miss that at all. And Westbrook, uh, certainly seems to be carrying a chip on his shoulder this season due to that. All right, Bob. So, so we talked about delving into the world of fantasy earlier. Well, this guy's fantasy became reality. I don't know if you saw this story. This is kind of a cool story. Uh, tennis star Eugenie Bouchard got way overconfident during the Falcons' 28-3 Super Bowl lead versus New England. She started tweeting about how she knew Atlanta was going to win, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of her male fans replied, if the Patriots win, do we go on a date? And she te- replied back, sure, in front of everyone on Twitter. Well, we all know what happened in the game. Too late to take it back. But the cool part is she is going to go on a date with this guy. She's, she has said she's going to fly him out to a tournament, but he has to plan the event and everything. How cool is that? That not that you know what? She got into a Twitter moment, but she's owning it and is not backing down from her bet. I think this is really cool. Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, certainly funny. Um, a lot of jokes that have been made about, uh, you know, congrats to the Falcons because people went to bed at halftime or whatnot, but um, certainly a a good sport there um, and pretty funny. And again, just shows you how crazy that that comeback was on Super Bowl Sunday. Hey man, I I give her mad props because at the end of the day, you know, it has nothing to do with the bet itself. It has everything to do with the fact that, yeah, I mean, how many athletes, how many stars would have just kind of like shied away from it or, or tried to play it down she's owning it and, and she's gonna she's gonna do what she said i think this is great and uh you know that's just just to tell you man don't don't make bets on sports you just never know what's gonna happen it, it just it's so unpredictable but that's what makes it fun yeah for sure all right man we got a lot into this podcast a ton of news and a lot of it good news i mean cleveland indians cleveland Cavs. Browns, nah, well, they're still working on that department. But yeah. we'll be back next week, and hopefully maybe the Browns will have some good news then. Uh, but but we'll definitely have the All-Star game to recap, uh, NBA trade deadline around the corner. So we'll see if the uh, Cavs will either keep Derrick Williams or, or add a couple guys to some open roster spots. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Fenley Road Sports or Instagram at Fenley Road Sports. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com and listen to our archived Clee Talk podcast. You can subscribe via iTunes by clicking that iTunes icon in the upper right-hand corner or search Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Clee Talk. We appreciate your support. We're very happy that you're listening to us every week. We'll be back with more Cleveland Sports Talk. But until then... Go Cavs and go Eastern Conference. Represent us well in the All-Star game. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Take it easy, Bob.